Welcome to the Pause Purpose Play podcast with me, Michaela Thomas, clinical psychologist, couples therapist, and founder of the Thomas Connection. I help high-striving busy people let go of the pressure of perfection to create more joy, connection, and compassion in their lives. On this podcast, we promote balance of a burnout through giving you the permission to pause, the curiosity to find your purpose, and the courage to play. In this episode of the Pause Purpose Play podcast, I spoke with Cleo Wood around postnatal well-being. Cleo Wood is a women's health and sex positivity advocate, and also the founder of And Breathe, which is an award-winning well-being and fitness retreat for pre- and postnatal, parenthood and perimenopause. Cleo created And Breathe following the birth of her daughter in 2014 and her experiences with trauma, postnatal depression, and painful sex and pelvic floor issues. And she is passionate about helping other women be their best selves. Cleo and I spoke about the importance of a postnatal wellbeing check for the mother, and not just for the baby, to make sure that the mother doesn't put herself last and doesn't get the care she needs to aid her recovery after birth and a transition into motherhood. We talked about how new parents have had vastly different experiences of having a baby in lockdown and how important it's been for Cleo to be guided by her own values at a time where business has been negatively affected by COVID-19. In spite of hard times, Cleo's passion around supporting postnatal parents with her and breathe retreats really shines through in this episode. So stay tuned towards the end where Cleo also talks about how hard she can be on herself and what she does to make progress with that ongoing. Let's get started. So welcome to the show, Cleo. I'm really, really glad to have you on here. And after the introduction, I guess there's no surprise that we're going to talk a lot about postnatal well-being and um, and recovery, I guess, um, today. Thank you very much for having me. And uh, yeah, it's one of my favorite topics. So I'm very excited to talk to you about it. <laughs> Fantastic. So what I tend to do is just, I want to hear people's stories. I like storytelling and I like listening to stories. I guess that comes with the territory of being a psychologist and a therapist. (laughs) So I want to hear a bit more about your story and then, you know, how that led you into creating and breathe wellbeing. Yeah, I guess it's um, one of those ones. It's quite a formative experience for me. I had a very traumatic birth um, of my daughter. Um, she's just turned six uh, last week. So yeah, so it was a few years ago now, but that was essentially where it's all come from. Um, I didn't enjoy being pregnant um, and uh, found it quite hard to kind of come to terms with the changes in my body and then had a long labor and uh, a few interventions in the birth itself. And then my daughter was in NICU for a few days. And Mm. it wasn't as serious as, you know, a lot of the other babies who were in there, of course. But, you know, that kind of thing is quite quite a shock to the system when you're going through quite a big change already. And anyway, it led to some mild post-traumatic stress disorder um, and postnatal depression. And, you know, I struggled to breastfeed and I found it really difficult to, as I say, come to terms with that change in identity and, and kind of figure out who I was in this new kind of phase in my life and whether it needs to be different or not. I just found that transition really hard. 
And so all of that really led to kind of trying to seek out spaces where I could get help and support and kind of feel good and fit in my body and strong in myself and my identity and, you know, have some space really for for me and for my family because I wasn't ready to leave my daughter yet Um, but I couldn't find any spaces like that there weren't any retreats that were appropriate for for postnatal bodies um, and Mm. that kind of delicate space that you're in Um, and so that's kind of where I came up with the idea of Ambreathe and you know just trying to kind of help families enter that space but also you know just on a much more practical level the information that I was getting around postnatal fitness and recovery and rehabilitation was so patchy and some of it was just wrong and you know the classes were not appropriate for postnatal women um, but they were targeting um, you know new mums so it just felt like you know there there was a, a bit of a need really to have that more open and honest conversation around you know proper fitness and doing this for you rather than talking about bouncing back in inverted commas and losing your baby belly all of which language is incredibly unhelpful but is so kind of pervasive in our culture so Mm-hmm. that that's the kind of that's that's the kind of uh intro journey I suppose into kind of how I got to to where I am now <laughs> it's a really powerful story because it shows that when you go through hardship you know worrying about both yourself but also about your daughter's well-being you know seeing her in NICU and it's interesting how how quickly we go to that place where we just go oh she wasn't as bad as the other children in there did you notice that you said that? I did notice that. And yeah, and I, I know I, I, it's funny because, you know, I, I have a therapist and I, I know, you know, I've worked with her for a number of years and that's definitely something mm. that I'm aware of. But I think it's, you know, I, I know that just because, uh, you know, her issues were not as bad as other people doesn't minimize my own feeling and suffering and emotion exactly. and so on. But it's very hard to kind of in a more kind of from a more practical standpoint, uh, mm. kind of not acknowledge, you know, the other babies who, you know, might not make it out of there. Um, so I think that's where it comes from for me is like, OK, I know I had it bad, but there's other stuff going on as well. But I completely agree. It's it's something that we do a lot, isn't it? Mm. We invalidate our own journey because yeah. there's someone else's journey will always inevitably be worse yeah but we also don't compare with those whose journeys that were not as bad as our own and I guess it really doesn't matter but more to acknowledge that this was really hard for you you know yeah having a traumatic experience and then affecting your mood and coming to terms with matrescence of you know of the transformation into motherhood is mm-hmm. really, really tricky and you yeah. you're quite open about how that's affected your relationship as well with your partner oh my god a hundred percent um I think it's really interesting isn't it because I think initially you know there is a lot of conversation and a lot of care around the babies and how they're doing and you know monitoring their health and weight and temperature and all of that and I think Mm. we're starting to open up that conversation around the health of the mother like mentally and physically and and that kind of identity and that bond and so on and and self-care being a big part of that conversation but there's less talk I guess around you know what that does to the family unit and the relationship within that as well because Mm -hmm. it is it's a massive shock to the system you know you go from being like this usually pretty well oiled team of two 
to throwing this like wailing child into the mix um and you're not really clear on what you're doing um you feel very insecure and like unsure of yourself you feel guilty you're not getting enough sleep and then your body's changed as well and of course that's going to impact your relationship but it you know all of the kind of imagery and depictions that we see in film and tv and media and magazines is all and social media of course is all around that kind of oh look at our wonderful new happy baby and and like family unit and actually underneath the surface lots of us are struggling with that relationship and whether that's just from a emotional point of view and and you know the way that you're talking to each other or shouting at each other or not understanding one another or it could be you Mm. know from the physical aspect as well which is what I talk about a lot in terms of like postnatal sex which can be incredibly painful or unsatisfying or you just don't have the time and that becomes a barrier between you as well you know so yeah it's 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 a massive it's a massive part of of the journey and the kind of transition i think into into parenthood and family life oh absolutely and people don't talk about that because there's so much misrepresentation about how parenthood should look uh, i mean we even <laughs> think about the pictures of you know um always white always hetero couple man yep. woman holding yep. baby and the baby is like six months uh it's not newborn yeah and nobody has the you know it's like because they, it's very hard to get hold of newborn babies to be posting <laughs> yeah. pictures right so exactly. we begin there by being told a lie that this is not at all what it looks like it's a lot in, in a lot of ways easier to care for a, a baby that's several months old than it is to care for a newborn definitely what you're describing there of you come home and you have these expectations of what it's going to be like and how happy and lovely it's going to be. And then you come home with a sick baby or a baby that has additional needs in any way. Or you've come back home with a very healthy baby and told that it doesn't matter. You know, all that matters now is this baby is healthy and you're coming home with the most horrendous nightmare of your life of a traumatic birth. And mm. that is also very invalidating. Did you experience that in any way where people were telling you to just focus on on baby being well and your daughter making it out of on NICU? I don't think, I don't, that's a really interesting question. I don't think explicitly, um, but there were definitely moments in that period where the emphasis is on the baby. So for example, in my six week checkup with the GP, and I should caveat this with, you know, technically at that time, that six week checkup is for the baby, it isn't for the mother. However, given you know, the amount of change that the body and the mind has gone through in that time, it should definitely include something for the mother as well. Mm. And in that, uh, in, in that checkup, which was only 10 minutes, he basically asked me one question about myself, which was, and what contraceptive do you want to go on to? And Mm, as I was heading out the door, he kind of sort of called after me, oh, you're not depressed, are you, by the way? Because I think he'd forgotten that he hadn't like ticked that box on his list. (laughs) Um, And I was like, wow, you know, I'm going through quite a lot of stuff here. And we've just cut the whole of this meeting has just covered the baby and not me. And so I think there was definitely that feeling of like, you know, as long as the baby's fine, then everything's going to be fine. And I think mm. you do, you absorb that, don't you? When that when that kind of rhetoric is all around you, when that is the conversation that you're having, when those are all of the questions are, are being asked about the baby and not you, you absorb that, even though it's not explicitly said, 
you you kind of then start to put yourself second, which I think then, you know, a lot of the time can then impact your kind of view of yourself and, and motherhood and, and, you know, what you should be demanding or asking all the time that you should be giving yourself further down the line. Which will really negatively impact your ability to recover from birth, which is one of the most strenuous things uh, the female body goes through. So if we then already from the dialogue that we have with health professionals start to put ourselves second, of course, it's going to be hard to rest and recover and rebuild uh, a body that's gone through war. I think it's just really interesting as well, isn't it, that all of the support that you get from the NHS afterwards, you know, the kind of ongoing support, obviously, you know, your health visitor and your midwife visits will probably ask about, say, stitches if you have them and whether they're healing. But all of the support after that is around you go for your like weekly weigh-ins or, you know, you can go to a breastfeeding clinic or you go to a baby yoga class or, you know, whatever it might be is very much focused on the well-being of the baby. And God, like I get it. Of course, we want the baby to be happy and safe and well. (laughs) Like it's quite a lot to have gone through you're you know Mm. you're not going to care for the baby but you know there is no framework currently you know official in inverted commas framework that cares for for the health of the mother as well um as Mm. far as I know like it's very much on you as the mother the new mother to go and ask for that help like going to the GP to ask for a referral or fighting your corner um or Mm. seeking out a private therapist or going to a physio you know it's it's all stuff that like the impetus has to be on you and that is a very hard thing to ask of someone who might be suffering in and even if they're they're not you know, kind of suffering, suffering, they're sleep deprived, you know, they don't really know what they're doing. There's a lot of stuff to fit in, you know, so I think it's think that's a really hard position to put someone in. It requires a lot of agency and power, I think, as well, and if, especially yeah. considering that if, if it's the first child that someone has been thrown into, you know, the, the madness of having a new baby is really hard to then stop and take stock at oneself. We're frantically just trying to meet the needs of the baby, which is what we're told to do. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing is that there are things available that, that I'm glad we're having this conversation because there <laughs> are things available that people don't know about. And you have to almost like, what else is there to be told? Oh, yes, you can get listening visits with your health visitor where they can come more often and you can be remaining on their books for longer than if you were just signed off as well and healthy and, and all, is, all is good in the world. And these listening visits is basically they come to your home and check in on you. And how many people know that that's a possibility or that you can go and speak to a consultant pre-labor, that you can go and, and talk to a consultant about feeling anxious about birth or, um, or those kind of things that you can arrange that with your hospital where, you, where you're planning to deliver. We, people don't know that that's a, an option because it's not advertised. It's not advertised. And it's also, again, the the, the, the impetus is on you to organise that and to know about it and to exactly. then go and organise it. It's not like it's part of the kind of pre or postnatal care schedule. Um, you know, it's an additional extra. And, and whilst it's great that they're offered and, you know, for example, like birth debriefs are a really amazing thing that you can go and get mm. at your hospital I didn't even know that that existed until, say, two and a half years later, at which point Mm. I kind of thought, well, it's a bit late now. You know, I've done two years of therapy. (laughs) Um, You know, maybe this isn't good. So I never actually did it. And I now question whether I should have done. But, you you know, that's that's a different conversation. But, 
you mm. know they you, they don't advertise that and i and i get it because of course the nhs is stretched and you know there's not much money there's not much time and you know really staff should have special training in order to give those debriefs as well so i think that they can definitely vary from hospital to hospital like professional to professional but you know, as you say, it's lovely that those things are there. But if you don't know about them, and mm. you know, how how are people actually going to be able to benefit from them? And it's not just about the tick box, like you mentioned as well, that, you know, if we've asked the question, then we feel happy and can pat ourselves on the back. <laughs> it's also about how that's done. Uh, I've, I've had a very similar six week check to you, you know, the, the doctor said, you know, looking down at the floor said, you know, none of that depression, then no, yeah. <laughs> and that, oh, God. Uh, <laughs> Uh, okay, so as a as a senior psychologist, I just I couldn't let that one slide. I just couldn't. Even though even though I just couldn't. Um, you know, sleep deprived and angry, and you know, don't know what I'm doing. Baby screaming. Baby had reflux and allergies, and everything was just uh, rather shit. Yeah. And to be asked that, I said, well, what what answer do you expect to get if you yeah. ask a leading question like that? Yeah, absolutely. A better one for you would be, how are you feeling in your mood? Yeah. You know, it's, it's as simple as that. And he looked at me and he felt ashamed, I'm sure. And he said, okay, okay. And who knows if he ever changed the way he went through uh, these checks next time. But that was also four years ago. And I know that there's been a lot of lobbying for the six or eight week checks to change, to mm. to always have the, the maternal well-being check in there as well. But again, we don't know how tick boxy it's going to be. Yeah. Um, I think there's talk about making the appointments longer as well to facilitate checking over baby as well as mum and dad if there is a hetero couple. Yeah. And, and actually what I think is really interesting is that actually it, it can sometimes happen so actually a good friend of mine she lives in east london and for her second baby her postnatal check was 45 minutes long and wow which is amazing and this gp has obviously taken a special interest in women's well-being and that kind of transition at the big life stage changes and she takes it upon herself to organize that now I don't know because I, you know, I don't know the healthcare system well enough. I don't know how that is done kind of internally, how they make the time and the effort and, and the kind of resource available to, to do that or whether it's literally just on her and how she kind of organises her diary in order to make that happen. But I think that was incredible. And, you know, my friend was saying it, it was so comprehensive and exactly the kind of thing that you and I would have been desperate to have and you know all yeah. women should have access to so that's kind of what I don't understand is why is there su- you know such a big disparity and it shouldn't be the case that it is someone's special interest area in order for it to happen no it also becomes a postcode lottery then mm-hmm. doesn't it in terms of where do you live what resources are there has there been perinatal specialist training uh, delivered out to that that council or that borough mm-hmm. uh, and that then becomes a bit of a luck, luck of the draw then you know will you be able to receive the best care or will that mean that you'll be further sort of emphasizing that it's all on you uh, you as a mother are failing if you are not coping with this yeah so I guess that's why I'm really impressed with that in in and breathe you have psychology as well it's not just about the physical it's not just about the eating because you do your sort of fit food and feel framework yeah. can you tell me a bit more about about that or why how did you come about to think of including a psychologist in your retreats yeah so it's really interesting because I I have always been quite open that I am you know a big advocate of therapy and have gone you know have seen lots of different kind of counsellors and support kind of people over time and 
we we don't ever on a retreat because it isn't the right environment to kind of get really deep and meaningful with people one-on-one in that environment but Mm. we have our kind of resident expert psychotherapist kind of on hand in order to help shape the framework and the program for the retreat so it's kind of like this underlying thread within the whole thing and I just you know for me it was just really important to have that aspect and that angle so that it kind of normalizes it and also Mm. that people know that there is more help out there you know so if it's part of the conversation and it becomes a very normal thing to talk about then it's no longer taboo and people know Mm. that you know if I'm open about or other guests are for example open about their own journeys with it then it may be something that someone then decides to consider realizing that it might be for them whereas before they may have not appreciated that it could be a helpful tool in their kind of journey in their mental health and um you know new family life so that's kind of that's kind of part of it I I also for me it's really important to kind of take that aspect of just kind of being mindful and slowing down and just recognizing what's going on within you as well. So just on a very simple level, we usually take a a daily mindfulness session, which is totally optional. If people are not into that, that's absolutely fine as well. But just to have it there, I think a lot of people then dip into it and try to experience it. And it's quite a nice, gentle introduction to kind of getting a bit more in touch with what's going on in your mind, where you may have been too busy before to appreciate it. You know, you haven't had the time in your new parent identity mm. to make the space to consider that. Just having it there and it being able to to be part of a conversation, I think, is is really important. And, you know, just above all of that as well, you know, we always talk about mind and body as if they're two separate things um and obviously they're not they're so interlinked and I know that you're really passionate about that that kind of conversation as well but it you know it's weird isn't it that we kind of think of mental and physical physical health separately when there are so many different kind of threads uh linking them and how they impact one another so for me it was just a kind of obvious thing to, to kind of include as part of the the journey and the experience Mm, that they would really link together Mm. and I think that's really important to acknowledge that when we are living in it with a young baby or a toddler you know having children they're on the sort of school age it's really really strenuous in terms of always being on the go there is Mm. no sort of stillness in your in your day-to-day life Mm -hmm. and especially if you've been you know quite high striving or you know, a professional before you became a parent, it can then be really difficult to cope day to day because where's the rest and recovery on the weekends? Yeah. You know, you might be going back to work after you've, you know, after you had your child and then there is no space, there is no stillness, there's no sort of let's flake out on the weekend and and recover a bit from the week when you have young (laughs) children because they wake you up with a kick in the face, right? There is no lying. Yeah. And I think that's definitely no hangover respite either. (laughs) Oh, no, 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 no. That's, there's no, there's no surprise of why hangovers get worse, not just because you're aging, but uh, (laughs) also because you get no sleep. Um, So the the answer to that is daytime drinking, I think. No, jokes aside. I like that answer. <laughs> we we digressed a bit, but you know, staying up late is no longer an answer, is it, when you've got young children waking up super early? Yeah, absolutely. But I think it's important to acknowledge that of what that if we don't slow down 
long enough to really notice not just the stuff around us because there's lots to notice there but when our children are making us notice they're making us come into the present moment but what about the inner world it's not just noticing everything going on with our babies and our toddlers and older children but it sounds like your retreat is also an opportunity for people to go a little bit inwards you know what is this journey meant for you what is this transition into parenthood meant for you and observing that stuff with mindfulness as well yeah and i think for i think what one of the most powerful things actually is is being there in person with other people who have gone through the same thing and for those people not to be for example your nct group or your existing friends and family because with those relationships amazing though they may be comes a lot of other baggage as well and you know there is that can sometimes be a sense of competitiveness for example within the nct group or there might be like these Mm. underlying kind of relationships or um you know perhaps a little bit of malice towards this person or towards you or whatever it might be um and obviously you know your your existing family relationships like you know the family that you grew up with there are tend to be kind of underlying things there as well so I think it's quite magical to see the relationships and bonds that develop with a group of people who are going through similar things and are obviously there for similar reasons you know obviously there are lots of different backgrounds and interests and so on but you've all chosen to come on a retreat like this so having you know having that open conversation in a safe space and a supported environment with people who are going through similar things but people that you don't know necessarily that well I think there's something very freeing about that um and it Mm. and that kind of helps you to then examine a little bit more of where you are um in your own mind as well I guess it's really important like a lot of the, the this conversation that we've just had is around there not being that much out there in terms of care for parents and support for parents it's all focused on the baby and and that is definitely what I wanted when I started and breathe was for it to focus on the parents in particular the mum obviously having been through that physical journey of birth and so on because I just think that there isn't enough out there that kind of takes care of the parents and and if they're not in good shape how are they going to take care of the baby well um, so it's, you know, it seemed, for me, it seemed like a really obvious thing. <laughs> um, mm. But it's, you know, it's something that we don't, we don't see enough. No, we don't. And I think we're coming from the same passion there of mm-hmm. wanting, wanting women after us to have a different journey to the one that we had, yeah. which I think is the power of, of women coming together and, and not just women, because obviously your retreats are about families, but connecting with others and being vulnerable and sharing our stories and knowing that connection comes from that vulnerability, from from knowing that we're, we're not alone, we share that journey. Yeah. And the current times when we're recording this, obviously we're recording remotely, we are in a very collectively ex- shared experience of, <laughs> of the coronavirus, of COVID-19. And, and that when you were speaking about the connection coming from meeting together in person, I mean, I've been thinking about that a lot, about what happens for people who have entered pregnancy and birth and being in the sort of in the fourth trimester now during these tricky times, being maybe perhaps left without or left with even less support than they might have had before, mm. no baby classes to go to, maybe struggling to get the support and help uh, that they might have had otherwise, like a friend holding their baby or the grandparents coming with food or things like that. What, what are your thoughts around how we can find support for these 
these people who are going through a tough time. Yeah, I think it is so hard. Um, I, I, I think there is there wasn't really a kind of acknowledgement that for a lot of people going through health issues or life stage changes or birth or, you know, new parenthood or whatever that is, you know, there wasn't really the acknowledgement that actually the kind of support networks outside of the actual physical treatment or birth in hospital or wherever it is, um, wasn't going to be there. And I don't think we've done much to counteract that. I I think it's really interesting because I was speaking to someone who actually got in touch with me on Instagram to say, you know, I'd love you to, to, to kind of write about my journey in this time of, of COVID, because, you know, I haven't been, I'm very at risk. I've had a few miscarriages. I'm desperately trying for my second, but even me who has had an ectopic pregnancy and, and these miscarriages, and I, you know, I know that I want to be taken care of both mentally and physically if I am to fall pregnant again, and I am trying now, you know, she was just being refused at, at all, um, you know, d- down all avenues. I think that was a bit of a shock to me. And I think it was quite interesting seeing how the different NHS trusts and the different regions of the country, coming back to your point about postcode lotteries mm-hmm. earlier, how different it will be, be between the regions. I guess knowing and planning for it is what I would say is is kind of the only thing that you can do at the moment is is to kind of get your head around the fact that it's going to be different and kind of put in place a bit of a support system to counteract that what that looks like I think will be different for for everyone if you are for example pretty open to kind of your own identity and and kind of your kind of mental health journey and you perhaps already have a therapist or you're kind of open to getting a therapist I would definitely suggest that Mm. now that we are coming out a little bit of lockdown and and are able to kind of form bubbles and relationships with you know kind of be able to see our, our closer circle again then I think you know having a li- with one eye on, on the practical aspects of it, uh, just kind of having that conversation with someone you know and trust and, and you know will be there to support you and kind of making that person almost your go-to, I feel like would be a, a good thing to do. And I And I almost wonder whether for some people taking the pressure off, not being able to go anywhere actually takes the pressure off you in those first weeks and months um and i have spoken to people who have actually really appreciated just being at home and not having to think oh god i've got to go out to this baby thing or oh well all my other ntt friends are doing this so you know i should be doing that it's just been about kind of that smallness in a way of being home and and kind of curating and and creating your own warmth and that family unit so I I guess it's a little bit of a mindset thing as well and everyone will be everyone will be different in terms of the way that they take to it or not (laughs) Mm, I think you're right we have to be careful to not make assumptions around how lockdown and the coronavirus has affected different families Mm. having looked at some some really interesting data uh, done yesterday um, about how people have been affected about working from home versus working in an office or being isolated or being connected and not making, not having preconceived notions of how we should be reacting. Mm. Because there are people who would find 
the fourth trimester of spending it at home without interruptions actually quite you know alleviating of that pressure yeah of of not having to perform not having to go to places but just being able to try to get the hang of feeding and changing and, and all of these things and just getting to bond with baby whereas equally there are other people who find themselves climbing on the walls mm-hmm. and desperately wanting to leave the house and those who are not having young babies at all but finding that there is bringing up a lot of flash flashbacks to previous trauma that they remind them of their experience of postnatal depression of not being able to leave the house very much so I've heard that as well of, of those who have children have grown up even teenagers who find that it's a sort of resurfacing of old trauma so there's a whole range here of how people might respond but I think you're right to point out that we just don't know and it's hard to provide that support when the NHS services are even more stretched mm-hmm. than usual um, and when you mentioned pressure taking the pressure off I mean obviously this podcast is is a lot about pause, purpose and play, not just for the people we serve, but also the people we are. Mm-hmm. So how do you take the pressure off yourself, you know, <laughs> considering that you've achieved so much, you're running your own company and retreats <laughs> and corporate well-being, you know, how do you switch off and take a break? Oh, well, it's very kind of you to say that uh, I've achieved so much. It's funny, isn't it, how, uh, you know, your own perspective and, and how other people see you is, is very different sometimes. Um, and I actually think that sometimes kind of stepping back away from that kind of framework that you've made for yourself or like your kind of outward identity can be really useful in terms of Mm. taking the pressure off there's nothing like kids is there for like bringing you down to earth and you know can you can can you wipe my bum please mummy okay great I've just got to finish this conference call (laughs) (laughs) like true story yeah yeah absolutely 100% (laughs) true um it's yeah so I I think for me it's it's just about remembering what else is out there remembering what my values are and I and I do struggle with this I'm very it's something that I'm constantly working on it's it's been a real journey for me in that sense because I'm like to be in control I'm used to achieving I have a very strong inner critic so it's very important for me to kind of take a step back and go you know stop making your like to-do lists and ticking things off and you know feeling bad because you haven't like achieved what you wanted to this week have you lived in the way that you wanted to you know have you shown your family that you love them have you displayed the qualities that you wanted to display have you kind of lived by the values that you've decided are important for you um and that's that you know at times is really hard and I'm only really just getting to grips with it now and that's been quite a long journey so for me that is that's that's the thing that makes a difference is just kind of remembering you know at the end of the day what is important is it you know this business that you've created or is it that your little girl is happy and that you have a great relationship with your husband and that you're that you're like a little team and family unit and it's definitely the latter but it's also really hard to keep remembering that sometimes when you know your day-to-day life is obviously kind of working and especially especially this year like with covid 2020 has been a real you know shit show for a lot of businesses and and especially for retreats and for travel it's been really, really hard this year. Like I've beat myself up a lot about it and I've definitely put myself under a lot of pressure and I've been super stressed. But in a way, 
having it all kind of come to a standstill and it being out of my hands was quite a good lesson in like, okay, well, if it all finishes, then what? It doesn't matter. Like you've still got your family at the end of the day. And I, you know, that's, that's a really, I feel very lucky to, to have that. Mm. It's like we strip it right back to what really matters that that doesn't mean it's either or it doesn't mean that either I choose my business or I choose my family it's just stripping it back to see that if this crumbled we wouldn't crumble yeah you know if this business wouldn't go the way you intended to and fingers crossed it's going to come back again because you clearly have built built something really lovely there but I can feel I can resonate with that as well you know I miss running my day retreats Mm -hmm. I miss I miss hanging out with people face to face I miss guiding people It's, it's a fantastic feeling and it's part of my purpose but I think it's important to acknowledge that we don't have to feel that I'm putting either or there it's not Mm. I'm choosing my business as more important or if I'm choosing my family is what matters the most it doesn't mean that I can't show up with passion and and, you know using my potential at work Uh, and especially because your business in itself is very very values focused Mm -hmm. Uh, it's not sort of paper shuffling it's it's connecting to bringing it back to your own family journey and your own family experience and what you know when your daughter came into this world that's where the the values around that started and that's come into your business so this is why a lot of female entrepreneurs that I speak with who are very high striving and ambitious find themselves fulfilled from their work because it's bringing it right back to their values to have in life so yeah don't I think it's important to try to acknowledge that inner critical voice when you are hard on yourself that nobody at the moment can control anything (laughs) all of this is out of our hands so when we are people needing to have control it can be really hard to be in a completely uncontrollable situation so definitely it's brave that you share those things that this is an ongoing journey for you with the inner critic yeah but what about sort of loosening up you know what what do you do to take the pressure off in a more playful way do you find that it's more about sort of the pausing taking a step back acknowledging your values and your purpose or do you ever find that you can take the pressure off with with playfulness you know what do you do to to play and have fun and be creative and innovative yeah I think that's a, a really interesting thing that you kind of separate it in into into two different two, two different kind of channels in a way because I think sometimes they do go hand in hand I definitely find that I need to kind of compartmentalize in a way so I need to kind of press Mm. pause before I can switch my mind to the play aspect yeah and I'm sure a lot of you know I'm I'm sure a lot of people are the same I I, as you know my big passion is around self-care um so I do try to acknowledge that and make time for it in my own life uh I I'm better at talking about it sometimes than I am uh, th- at doing it. Um, but I think yep. that is... Practice what you preach, yeah. it's hard. <laughs> um, but, it's, but I think it's interesting because I actually, I got a new GP the other day and uh, I said, oh, you know, like about my own situation and just, you know, sometimes just telling people about self-care rather than actually living it myself. And he was like, I think a lot of uh, people in caregiving contexts are similar. Like if you're there to support people, it's very hard to sometimes then make time to support yourself, which I thought was, which I found really reassuring and also like an interesting kind of, not wake up call. It wasn't, it wasn't as kind of big of a light bulb moment as that, but like it was, it, I, I, I found that very reassuring in a way um, that, it, you know, it's not me. And I'm, and I'm sure that 
you know, perhaps you experience some of that as well um, in terms of your own kind of work. You you might be much better than me um, at kind of separating um, work and life and, and kind of being more mindful of that. But it's definitely something that I've had to work on to, to make sure I am getting in that time uh, for me because I know and this is the reason that I'm so passionate about it is I know that if I look after myself, then I'm a better person for my family and my loved ones and and people around me. Like I have that space to be patient and I, you know, I don't have so much adrenaline in my body, like making me stressed. Um, You know, when I'm fitter, I'm happier because I can move better. I'm not aching. I'm, if I'm fitter and and stronger and doing exercise, then I can sleep better. If I'm being, if I'm making time to do some meditation every day, then I sleep better. Um, You know, insomnia is something that I've struggled with on and off for the past few years and I'm in a really good space now. And I know that that's because I have had the time to meditate consistently for a number of months and it kind of adds up and just brings you in, you know, your mind is much more able to switch off. So yeah, it's definitely that kind of play aspect. I I, I would kind of view that as, as, as like a play aspect is kind of Doing, doing a bit of meditation, making sure I'm able to do some exercise on a regular basis. Um, but also, you know, I love a massage, for example. I love kind of... Oh, lovely. I miss massages. Oh, I know. They're so good, aren't they? Um, literally, when, when, when they were first available again after COVID, I was like, I tried, I had to book like the first slot available. <laughs> um, I haven't had one yet. I'm a bit daunted by the whole um, doing it, in, like face masks and vices and things. Yeah. But maybe I should just go for it. I mean, for me... In terms of my back needs it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, yeah, it's, it's definitely, each person will be there you know your your limits in terms of what you're comfortable with are are different for everyone aren't they Mm. but I was definitely you know I was definitely more desperate for a massage than I was worried about all of the protocols so (laughs) yeah so we all we have to weigh it back and forth don't we and just make a judgment call that feels right for us exactly you're pointing to something which I think would be you know an hour hour long conversation in itself or how people who care for others can also care for themselves Mm. and turning that care kindness and compassion inwards so that you fill yourself up because otherwise it's very hard to give to others but I touched upon this in in a previous episode with Susie Redding as well Mm -hmm. around self-care for tough times so that's another episode that's good to go back to as well to to consider how do we do that not just caring for ourselves so that we can care for others like our clients or our children or our partners but also caring for ourselves because we deserve to be well yeah. I think that's a big game changer that it's not just I top myself up so I can keep pouring into your glass but I top myself up because it's nice to be full yeah absolutely and that's a that's a big game changer for me where I think no it's not just so I can continue to serve others yeah. it's just because I deserve well-being just as much as my clients do so to answer your question of if I'm better at it I don't think I'm better at it I don't I think that's something that you never sort of just nail and you've (laughs) sorted out your work-life balance I think that's a constant calibration when you keep thinking about when do I step in when do I step out and consciously choosing willingly when I step in I do so because it fills me up uh, into my business and when I step out it's because it's costing me more than it's worth so I constantly step in and out uh, on a daily basis yeah and 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 that's life isn't it you know the the demands on your time and and the kind of your need to to kind of put your energy into certain spaces is, is going to be different yeah from day to day from week to week from you know pandemic to pandemic so (laughs) 
Exactly. And uh, I am ta- I talk a lot about the pressure pandemic as well, mm. because I feel it's not just been a global pandemic of a health crisis, but it's also been a pressure pandemic of, you know, I don't know if you saw the same things I saw in the beginning of lockdown with the, the craft pandemic, you know, of, of all the banana bread <laughs> that you were supposed to bake and all the crafts sourdough. and like building forts for your children, the sourdough, <laughs> yeah, and building forts for your children and all of these things that people were supposed to do in terms of arts and crafts. And it suddenly, you know, slowly, slowly started to fade when people got really exhausted and fatigued and like, I can't keep this up. And realizing that we weren't supposed to be, you know, acting as as nurseries or as schools or as holiday clubs, we were supposed to act as parents. And that means looking after ourselves as well as our children. So the thing I want to wrap up with now is, you know, a tangible takeaway to give the listeners. Mm-hmm. And I often ask the, the, the guests to think of a, a permission you want to give the listener or a pressure you want to take off them. What, what would that be? What would be your gift to the listeners? I think that's a really interesting one. I, I think a lot of positivity and kind of affirmations that you might come across on social media are all about being happier getting rid of the negativity um, and kind of boosting people and like holding people up and so on. I think for me, it's been a real game changer to recognize that actually it's okay to feel bad as well. Yeah. It's fine to have negativity sometimes. It's okay to have all sorts of emotions as long as you're not like I was when I was really depressed, you know, just getting so angry and having absolute meltdowns and like lashing out, you know, that's, that's obviously not what I'm talking about, but just the ability to say it's okay not to be happy sometimes and being comfortable with being uncomfortable, I think is a really key one for me and knowing that it's okay, you know, because for example, so much of us, so a lot of what we consume is on Instagram and it's also other social media like Facebook and you know it looks so perfect and knowing that actually other people are not perfect all the time either and I I know that we know that in our heart of hearts but it's very easy to forget when you're bombarded with all of these images all of the time so so you know embracing the downs as well as the ups I suppose. Yes, and I think that's so important to not just get on the track of pursuit of happiness and thinking positively all the time, but it's okay to feel whatever you're feeling. And even if it's you know in the deepest, darkest depths like you've described, then it's okay too, but that doesn't mean that you should be left there all alone, unsupported. Mm. So if there's anything I take away from our chat today is that the importance of reaching out and even if it takes agency, setting it up so that you can have someone who looks out for your mental well-being even when you can't so you know a support bubble or you know if you are pregnant and you know that you've had a history of mental health problems it can be really important to discuss that with your GP your health visitor your midwife but also your friends and family of making a care plan for yourself of how can I be looked after if I should feel really low or anxious postnatally yeah so your journey being so open about that is helpful for other women who get caught up in that sense of everyone's having a great time and being perfect on Instagram, that these voices that you have, you know, what you bring to the world, Cleo, it's, it's going to help with that, that we keep chipping away on this need to be perfect. Thank so you. thank you so much for <laughs> coming on. You're so and where, welcome. You, know, you mentioned the Instagram. Where can we find you, Cleo? What's the best place? Good question. Um, so on on Instagram, uh, and breathe is at and breathe well-being. 
Um, and the website is andbreathewellbeing.com. And if you want to kind of follow me personally, it's at it's Cleo Wood. It's Cleo with an I. Don't worry, I'll put all of that in the show notes so they can see the exact spelling and they won't go follow the wrong Cleo somewhere else. <laughs> so not. don't worry. I'm sure she's lovely. No, but... don't worry. <laughs> I'm sure she is as well, but this is the one that I've spoken to and this is the one I want to direct people to. So thank you so much for coming and speaking to me. I'm sure we could have carried on for much longer. Uh, I may have to bring you back in the future again because this was fantastic. Oh, so thank well, you so I'd much. I'd love to come. Thank you for having me. This was a powerful and honest conversation with Cleo, which I could have carried on for ages. We didn't even get to cover much around postnatal sex, so stay tuned as I hope to bring in another guest around that topic. If you have felt triggered by this episode and you need more support for your mental health, please turn to the links in the show notes for more help. As always, I appreciate your support, so please rate and review this podcast and tell others about it. If you want to learn more about the Pause Purpose Play Framework and you are, like Leo, a high-striving person putting pressure on yourself to achieve, then come and join the free Pause Purpose Play group on Facebook. Until next time, take care of yourself. This episode of the Pause Purpose Play podcast was presented by me, Michaela Thomas. You can find me on thethomasconnection.co.uk. And because great work rests on having a great team, this episode was kindly edited by Emily Crosby Media.